Hello everyone, welcome to episode 80 of Jen and Millie, where a Gen Xer and a millennial share the strength-based perspective through which they view the world. We are your hosts, Allison and Tess. Welcome everyone. It is absolutely phenomenal to be here in person, safely, of course, but we are in kind of this unique experience where we are returning to some normalcy in ways and also in not so many ways. Mm -hmm. So I'm back in Nebraska for a few days. However, I believe that I'm representing Colorado and my Colorado self as best I can. I have a stocking cap on um, inside. Mm -hmm. That's what Coloradans do. So (laughs) it is really wonderful to be here and wonderful to be recording. One of the things that we're going to talk about today which I think is, we've already practiced this a little bit, Tess, in the green room, is this experiencing the old mm-hmm. with the new, but now is the, the new. Nold. Nold. new old. New old? New old? New old? It is this <laughs> new old. It's this new space that was mm-hmm. pandemic, but we are now experiencing... Still pandemic. Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> we are in this space of, we've done almost a year yeah. of completely different things, mm-hmm. but now we're experiencing things that we have known only in person. Yeah. Now in the virtual space. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to chat a little bit today about how our strengths show up in those times. Yeah. So for me, one of the, the, greatest examples of that is last week I got the opportunity to present at the National Mentoring Summit and I... Which you rocked. Thank you very much. Um, so I presented nearly the exact same workshop that I did last year, except last year was in person at this time and it was very, very bizarre to be virtual. I have done, I mean, a lot of things virtual over this past year, but I think nothing exactly like the workshop that I facilitated. And so I made a few tweaks and added some additional like reflections and questions for the attendees that were different than last year in light of, of COVID and, you know, of the pandemic and how do we then adjust measurements and evaluations in response. But it was very, very odd to number one, have absolutely no idea how many people were coming. So last year I got numbers. They printed physically out the worksheet that I created for them to do during the workshop. Mm -hmm. Um, I had physical tables. We were in a physical space. I could move around the room during the kind of workshop time of it, Um, kind of hear people's responses, you know, answer like really direct questions in real time. Like I feel like weirdly enough, because there was in person, there's like this cohesion of the group, like all working on this together, like the large group while also in smaller pockets. I just felt people were much more comfortable to ask questions. Like if I would just waltz over to the table and ask how they were doing, like, I would just like, what do you think about this? Or, you you know, physically see what they were doing with themselves. Where they're at on the worksheet and all of those things. And so, or were they even in the room? Yeah. Were they in the room, right? Did they leave or were they on their phone? You know, yada, yada. But then, you know, during the virtual space, number one, during the whole summit, in large group times, everyone had their videos off. And that just like, it bothers me because, especially as a presenter, because I can't pick up on nonverbals. And then as an attendee, I am a tech conformist. Um, and if everyone has their video off, I will probably turn my video off too. As much as I like to be a nonconformist in most areas of my life, if nobody else has their video on, why would I? It's have a my social more, right? It, it is. It, it is. totally is, right? And that's why I put on our staff day bingo card, like, 
succumbing to the social pressure of adding a reaction when someone else puts a reaction in on Zoom. Because we do it. We just totally do it. And um, and so, but in the virtual space, so I couldn't really see nonverbals of people. And then the people I could see of their video were my facilitators, were the people from the National Mentoring Partnership. And they were like monitoring the chat and working on breakout rooms. So I didn't get reactions from them, right? Because they weren't listening to the content super intently because they were doing the behind the scenes right. facilitation. Right. And so the nonverbals I did pick up on were not positive nonverbals for good reason, right? They're dealing with the tech aspect of it, but they weren't really like engaging in the content. I wasn't getting like nods, you know, that kind of stuff. And so, and then when we did breakouts, I stayed in the main session to help answer questions and guide the, um, the mentoring partnership people through what was coming next. So let's come back and then we're gonna do a breakout at this time. Please put an announcement at this time. Then like I had to proctor all of that for them based on what I wanted. Right. And so I stayed in the large group when everyone else went to breakouts. So I really had no idea if my instructions were clear, if people got it, if people were working on stuff. Like, And then I felt crunched on time too. So being a participant, I will tell you that yes, your breakout sessions were very, I mean, we were engaged. Yeah. And the participants were so in awe of, you know, not just your knowledge, but really the way that you had thoughtfully crafted an activity for them to make this applicable learning. Mm -hmm. And I know that that really honors mm -hmm. your learner. My first thought as this dialogue, and I was thinking about this dialogue as I was driving here, my first thought is what does that feel like to someone who has context in their top five mm -hmm. to have an experience that they have known, like yep. almost exactly the same presentation, yep. that they have, the blueprint is there, mm -hmm. and now they are in a completely different Ugh, venue, yeah. a completely different container, a completely different space. Yeah, I think that's, it, it's very, very hard, and this is the major blind spot of context, is because I have this prior experience with nearly the same event. And so everything I experience the next time will always be a relative comparison to what I experienced before. So of course, I think I did the worst job I've ever done presenting on this one because I didn't have body language to respond to. I haven't received my feedback yet. I haven't, you know, um, you know, don't have, I've had a few staff members that were a part of it that attended that emailed me and said, you know, great job. But I feel like I got to feel the energy of the room when we were in person. I got to see people writing down things on their worksheet. Um, I had lots of people that stayed after. I didn't get to go to the next breakout session I had signed up for because I spent an hour after my breakout last year talking to people outside of my breakout room right. because they had all these follow-up questions and wanted to connect individually. I have somebody that attended my breakout last year that I still email with yeah. that runs a small mentoring partnership right. in South Carolina mm -hmm. and she still like sends me stuff to say, hey, what does this look like? And can we make sense of this? And they were like just getting started at the time. And so they didn't have any evaluation measurements in place. And so we kind of have worked together to help build and make sure that like she at, is adequately measuring everything. And so it's just it, so different. Did it you know? feel honoring to your adaptability, which is also in your top five at all? You've taught me so much about adaptability in the sense that what I assume about it, because it's very low for me, what I assume about adaptability is that you would shine in that situation or that would feel good or honoring to you. But what I learned, and I can still remember this moment as we were driving to Hershey, Nebraska, and I said, I don't really have a plan. What do you think? And you were just <laughs> horrified, which I thought was going to be honoring to your adaptability. No and you were like, absolutely not. Like, I need you to have a plan yeah. where you adapt best is a pop-up question. Yep. 
Yeah. And you can shift into that. Yeah. Um, I think also where you adapt best is the energy of the room. Mm -hmm. So your learner adaptability blend will say, I can tell when somebody doesn't get what I'm saying. And in the virtual space, especially when videos are off, Mm -hmm. that is very difficult. I think, so back to the question of like, does this honor my adaptability at all? In honesty, I would say no. I truthfully would. And that might sound weird and it might sound so contrary to the assumptions of adaptability, but what I have learned and what I've had to really do in this virtual space is make very conscious efforts to channel my attention because Mm. with adaptability you're so aware of everything going on at the present that even in a virtual session or a meeting with a congressperson like if an email pops up I'm gonna want to read that and open that right you can't necessarily do that when you're sitting physically in a workshop right you can put your phone to the side you can do that But in a virtual space, you're on your computer, which is your source of input information. And so what I had to do during the National Mentoring Summit, and then I was at a training the last two days, or Monday, Tuesday, I was at uh, two full days of training as well. So I had like five days consecutively that I was like occupied all day. I put an out of office message on. And I had to physically cancel out and shut down Teams and Microsoft Office, and then I put my phone on Do Not Disturb because I get Teams notifications. So this is a great point that I think we should talk about. This is, and and I'm not saying that this is what you're doing. We are excusing really bad behavior right now. Yeah. So I, and I noticed this before, before February, the, if I was talking to you, if I was sitting with you, and we were just chatting and I stared at my watch for 10 seconds, you would wonder, what in the hell is going on? Does she not know how to read time? Because now we have normalized an Apple watch that we will absolutely stare for 10 seconds and be distracted from the other human. The other thing that we've normalized is working all the time. Yep. Which we have to stop. Mm -hmm. We have normalized Mm -hmm. that behavior as a society, as a culture. Mm -hmm. We have normalized the behavior of checking out as well. So I just listened to a great um, podcast. I love Cheryl Strayed and I've not talked about her too much on Jen and Millie. Mm -hmm. Um, She wrote Wild, which is a really a personal memoir, but a very, for me, it was a very difficult read, a very powerful read, important to me. I've seen her. um, She did a great presentation at at UNO and I got to see her there. She has, um, it's called, um, I think it's called Pop Sugar or Deer Sugar, Deer Sugar that she's now writing, which people write in, and there was an absolutely beautiful piece that I caught by accident, and if we're in February, I can say this with absolute ease. It was about love, and it was probably one of the best things I have read in a long time, and it was her response to someone reaching out to her. Dear Sugar is almost like a Dear Abby sort of thing that she responds to, and the thought that she gave her response. So that kind of piqued my interest again in Cheryl. I found that she has a podcast and she did an interview with one of her favorite professors. And this was early on in COVID. And he was talking about how it just gave him permission to stay home, which is an introvert. He said, this, mm-hmm. this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Yep. <laughs> I don't have to go to social events. I don't have to do, he goes, yep. I have permission to now hide out. Mm-hmm. I think that If we took, and I think we will 50 years from now, 20 years from now, five months from now, 
start to see some of the effects of a pandemic mm-hmm. on mental health have a lot to do with our choices. Yep. I have chosen for myself to move. Now, when I made that decision, it looked like and felt like fierce independence, and I am going to stand behind that. It still feels like fierce independence, mm-hmm. but it has been tremendously isolating. Mm. Tremendously isolating. Sure. And I did not think through that. Mm. That was not something that was even in my thought process. But what had happened that I didn't think about is my excused behavior of working from home was in a space where everything I've ever known is around me. Yeah. My kids, my family, my home base, my mentee, my office, my workmates, everything I've ever known mm-hmm. was around me. So I knew where to go in high V to get, you know, coffee filters because that's my space. I don't know Mm. anything about the space that I'm in. In the middle of a pandemic, I move, and it has been tremendously isolating, which was not something that I thought about. But I make a choice whether or not I go and socialize, even to some degree, or go out. I could tell you, I don't have any reason to leave my place. Yeah. And I could make that, I could make a really solid excuse (laughs) for, I'm just not going to go anywhere. Yep. I have to choose daily to get out of that, what I would call really bad habit that has been formed around working from home, mm-hmm. which has become isolation. Yeah. And I think that working all the time, like Tess, mm-hmm. you have absolute permission to turn all those things off at the end of your work day. I know, <laughs> but I don't. Because we've shifted into yeah. what I would call this... Um, COVID experience Mm -hmm. that excuses or makes justification Mm -hmm. for what may not be the best of behavior. behavior. So one of the things I've been thinking about along those lines a whole lot is that I, and you're going to find this a little weird, but I, when I for very first went to counseling, one of the things that I wanted to work with a counselor on is the fact that I have very, very few memories from growing up. Like, I, I can remember a lot of things in extreme detail, but my own childhood, I have very few memories of. And I always wondered, like, what was that? Is there something, like, physiologically incorrect or, and it, you know, trauma? I had an experience that was, like, forcing, you know, memory lapses and things like that. Like, I don't remember my own childhood. Um, I have maybe a couple of stories that I could think of. And, um, and that's really weird with someone with high context. Yeah. Very, you know. Not weird, but you know, definitely something fine. to think about. Yep. And so I had my counselor was um, over, was um, supervised by um, um, someone who has their, their PhD in their um, like clinical psychology doctor doctorate. And so she did also did like a consultation on me. And essentially her conclusion was that I had such a like not like normal because I don't really like that word, but such a monotonous childhood of a stable home, stable parents, no major life events that because I didn't have any significant events occur, like no deaths in my family, like no divorce, like nothing in my, in my circle and in my world that I had no way to chart time. I had no time markers. So I had no way to understand and place things in my own history. Well, think about when we form a timeline. What do exactly. we put in our timeline? We put trauma. Yeah, we put like ups and downs, highs and lows, and I really didn't have anything in the extremes of a really big high and a really big low in my life. Like I, the one big time marker was when we moved homes in second grade. 
Like, I remember the old home, and I remember moving to the new home. But even then, that was, like, the biggest thing in my life was a change of a space from one block to ten blocks down in the same, you know, same school, same people, same everything, basically. But that was my only major, like, event in my life growing up. And so, you know, this, you know, psychologist said, basically, you, everything was so monotonous, everything was so similar, everything was so stable that you had no way to mark time. So your brain couldn't grasp onto memories because it didn't have time markers, right? And so is that bizarre? So that's what I think a lot about when I think about this last year. Like I cannot imagine, I can no longer say I was in London in January because now that's over a year ago. A year has passed, right? And I have no real time markers oh, from the pandemic, see, right? See, okay, see. so see where I'm going with this I conclusion, do. right? I do. So the way that I think about like what isn't the non-healthy behaviors, they're enabled because we don't have distinctions of time. Like I don't have time barriers or time boundaries. My desk is five feet away from my bed where my laptop is, right? Where my workstation is. I wake up and I do the same things every day. I go to the same places, i.e. stay here all day. Um, And I do the same things, right? I have no big life events. I have no travel, right? I don't have any really of these big things that mark time throughout. Like the biggest things like attending a virtual conference, right? And so I think part of like where I guess I'm going with this is the fact that Like, I think we allow ourselves to be grooved into these like unhealthy behaviors because we have no really big things happening in our lives, right? Because is it because we don't have things to look forward to? We're not excited or we're afraid to be excited? I I are we fearful of that? So, in my head, I think, well, doing peers implementation was a good example that happened very suddenly, short notice. I loved everything about it now before. Had you given me short notice and said, hey, Allison, you're going to go do this, I would have been freaking out. Yeah. My input, no way. I had to cancel these things. I had to change these things. I don't yeah. know yeah. the audience. I got there, and I loved everything about it. It was very mm-hmm. surreal because I was doing a hybrid, both in-person and virtual. So I had to honor the participants on the screen and honor the participants in the room, also while maintaining safe distance, mm-hmm. which is very hard for me to not work around the room. So it was almost a blessing that I had to stay in front of the camera Mm -hmm. because it kept me still. Yeah. But to get on a plane, yeah. Also had one of the most phenomenal experiences of my life in ridiculous. In going to the airport and being actually greeted by the only counter in the whole airport. Pier has a very small airport. And the gentleman who greeted me at the counter said, You must be Allison and I said I am. Yeah. You know, I was like, someone call for me. And he said, um, you're our only passenger. There were seven security guards and me. I just, you know, and Tess, I was just like, hello. I mean, I, I was spinning around. I was high-fiving people. I was like, this is the coolest thing. And then, you know, I get on the plane and it's two co-pilots, the flight attendant and me. And it was me and the entire plane. Sunset flight. Spectacular. So many metaphors for me, and I have high connectedness, as you all know, but so many metaphors for me about this solo flight experience. I've been having, um, noticing feathers when I'm out walking and noticing these number combinations and things that are just popping up, these signs that keep leading to you're in flight, you're taking off, you're in flight. Mm -hmm. So then for that to happen, but what was interesting to me, and I don't mean this because I know that some people who said this to me actually listen to this podcast, I had people say, weren't you afraid? 
And I, I was kind of in awe of that question. And so I, you know, tell me more is the way I kind of mm-hmm. get to that. Weren't you afraid to be the only person? And that was such an interesting observation for me to hear from multiple people. Weren't you afraid mm-hmm. to be the only person on that flight? Absolutely not. Oh. It was exhilarating. And then I started thinking about what, what does solo adventure look like now post pandemic? So I know nothing other than being alone during this whole time. Yeah. Whereas most of the humans around me know nothing else other than being even more connected with the humans that they live with Mm -hmm. because they can't go anywhere else either. Yeah. So depending on your perspective, if you've been alone for the last year, you know alone. You know solo adventure. If you have been next to your kids who had to come home um, or your kids who are doing school at home or your spouse who's now working from home or whatever that looks like, that's a really different experience too that I think now as we're gravitating into this new space of some, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, Mm -hmm. it will be very, very different. I just read an article, The Assumption of the Baby Boom. Mm -hmm. It's the opposite. There, there's actually huh. less pregnancies in this yeah. time frame than were a year ago at that time. In the last year, I just read and I thought, interesting. Mm, that is interesting. so bad because you know yeah. the sociologist in me yep. wants to study that a yep. gazillion times over. Mm-hmm. I just think that now we're showing up with our strengths in different ways. Mm-hmm. Our strengths are either being honored, or we're maybe falling into some of those basement moments yeah. more often. I think my woo has become much more selective, Hmm. much more thoughtful. Um, Just had this conversation with my friend Kristen this morning. She said, what's it like when you go back? And I said, I almost feel like I can't tell anybody Hmm. because my social calendar becomes so overwhelming or the, like, where are you going to be? And when can I see you? And can you do this? And can you do this? Feels so overwhelming if I don't honor it. Yeah. But at Mm. the same time, I haven't had to. Yeah. So yeah. my days are usually just me. Mm-hmm. That it is exhausting yeah. to be mm-hmm. around. Like, I got home from Pierre and I was like, I don't want to worry about anything. <laughs> That's the thing, too. Like, I recall, I mean, pre pandemic, I'd have something every evening. I'd have a class and then I'd have Bible study and then I'd connect with my friends. And like, one social engagement in a week is overwhelming for me now. And I used to have one every night almost. So if that's happening to us as adults, I want us to be thoughtful about what's happening with kids who are returning to school. Absolutely. And being expected to participate. Yes. As if before. Yep. Yes. And also thinking about the the separation from Mm -hmm. the family environment or the ease in being able to I'm just going to put on my jammy pants and, mm-hmm. and do Warm Zoom today. Fuzzy slippers. I mean, seriously, like these are major shifts yeah. in having to, for us as adults, like I'm going to go out in public, so I should probably put makeup on. Or although you know, we've been on so many Zoom calls, and I think I said this in our first round, but I'll say it again. Not everything has to be yeah. a meeting of yes. screens. Yep. Agreed. <laughs> Call me, send me an email, um, let's do a phone conversation. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's something that we we need to, as particularly as adults, mm-hmm. extend a lot of grace yeah. towards this shift yes. for one another. Mm-hmm. Um, give space for that. Yeah. We have been 
in a non-movement time that I wonder yeah. if years from now will we be able to tie memories to it. I did not know that. Yeah. Fun I mean, fact. <laughs> because you, you have shared beautiful stories about your childhood, mm-hmm. but they may be the few that you yeah. recall. I think I probably shared all of the memories that I recall from childhood. Yeah, very and few. I know that you say that with total humility and blessing to say that you didn't have... Yeah. Oh my gosh, absolutely, I know you do. right? But I also think that sometimes when those of us who have had high trauma, we block. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's what I... Like, I initially went in, honestly, with knowing what I know about psychology. Like, I have to have experienced some trauma that I just have no recollection of because I have such few memories growing up. And trauma is relative, as we've talked about many times. So I think also, Tess, that means you went into college with, I say this all the time about resilience, because parents, we do not understand the gift of struggle. Yeah. And I yep. I have a blog post that's in my brain, my personal blog that I'm going to write and it's going to make so many people mad. <laughs> but I was so much living for my kids yeah. that when I stopped having that role, mm-hmm. I didn't even know what to do with myself. Yeah. And it did not benefit my children yeah. to be living for and through and trying to take care of everything for mm-hmm. them. Again, Lauren doesn't listen, so it's okay for me to say this. I'm, I have to shift her off of my car insurance yeah. because I'm now a Colorado resident. Yep. To, she is going to be 25 years old. This has been a massive dialogue with her. And I say to her dad, oh my goodness. <laughs> like we, yep. we, we have not allowed mm-hmm. for spaces of struggle and figuring yep. out things. Mm-hmm. And I have overstepped with my own children to figure things out for them mm-hmm. or to try to provide... What feels like I'm providing comfort, which was maybe doing too much. And then I got to this point where nobody needed me to do anything for them. And I literally did not know what to do with myself. Mm -hmm. But I don't know that parents realize what a gift it is when their kids have those moments of not, I'm not saying trauma, but difficulty. And I know that your mom and dad didn't shield you from difficulty, but you were just lucky enough to have that. But then eventually you get to struggle. Yeah. Right. Okay. So just like you said, when I went to college, my first year of college was the hardest of my life. What I had been incubated to believe about myself and the world was shattered. What I wanted to do, what I thought my future was going to look like, none of that matched the reality of what I was experiencing. And so I went through a major struggle that first year of deciding what I want to do and trying to figure out life. And and it was that was what I learned the most from. That was what I have now, that's my biggest area of growth. That's my biggest struggle was that first year of trying to deconstruct what I knew about myself in the world mm-hmm. and reconstruct it Um from my own reflection and my own discernment. And so, yeah, I really like, I really like this idea, right. Of how do we transition? And I think we get to talk about this because there's hope, right. There's kind of a light with the, with the vaccine, with things starting to change. But, um, I really liked, I don't know if you've had the chance to read Terry from Freeman, her email yet. I have not. Um, Yes. So Terry sent us, um, her word of the year. Um, I did see just a glimpse of it last night, and I imagine it's good. Yeah, and she talked a lot about how she didn't want to choose the word intentional or intentionality, but how it just kept coming back to her. And I think that that, I love that word. I think it's 
used a lot now, <laughs> but I love that word. And I think that's the word that I want to grasp to when I think about how do we best navigate this transition. And it really truly is with intentionality. We can't, and we've talked a lot about this. We talked a lot about this in early pandemic, right? We can't go back to normal. Like there's no back, you know, there's no like, making things normal again. But right? I think that's hard for people to to really grasp. Yeah. That is really hard for people to say, I will have to embrace change now permanently. Mm. A little bit of change felt good. Like, I don't know, I can wear yoga pants all day. Yeah, this is great. great for the first month. And back to that interview that Cheryl did with her, um, her professor, he said that. Like, it mm. gave him permission to do what he really wanted to do. Yeah. I don't know that all of us are ready to accept A, we're not going back to where things were, but B, we're not staying in this space. Agreed. Agreed. And that's the hard thing, right? This entire, um, you know, the entire pandemic, especially early on, I remember the memes about like, check on your extrovert friends. They are not okay right now. Right. And, and as much as that, like was a joke, it's very true. Mm -hmm. And introverts thrive. Like I have loved this. I have loved that. I have not had to go anywhere that I can say no to things. Right. Because for like, as a more introverted person, the cultural expectation, our sociopolitical expectation was show up for everything be involved. Mm -hmm. Um, If you say no to something, you have to have a legitimate excuse as to why you're saying no to something. You can't just say no because you don't want to go, right? Mm -hmm. Like that was the expectation that I lived under. And so I was involved and showed up for everything because that was what I had learned, my learned behavior of what society expected of me. What I love about what this new normal is going to be is you're right. I don't think anybody's going to be content because it will be a new normal where we can't just go back to doing everything. So people that love to do everything and love to be involved and love to be busy are going to have to adjust to the fact that life hopefully will be a slower pace a little bit from here on out. But then also the people like me that are okay not ever doing anything ever again need to be and need to adjust to the fact that things will start to pick up again. Things are starting to pick up again. You traveled for implementation. I've been to a virtual conference and a virtual training in the past week. Like events and things Mm -hmm. are still occurring and we need to re-engage with that especially for those of us like me who've completely disengaged from it and so it's going to be discontent for everyone yes and I don't know that we're prepared for that so one of the things I learned I mean kind of back to your meme it was almost a joke to and I mean and I don't think that anybody did this with intention but I felt made fun of that I can't deal with isolation I felt like I was being told there's something wrong with you that Mm -hmm. you can't handle aloneness. And what's been interesting for me is that I've been able to, because of this, Mm -hmm. really dig into that narrative. Yeah. Like what is my definition of aloneness? What's society's definition of aloneness? Does that make me any less than? And Mm -hmm. a lot of this is cultural. A lot of this is the upbringing that I had. A lot Mm -hmm. of this is the narrative that I have about being 46 Mm -hmm. and on my own so many capacity um, pieces to that but the the um, joking about you know what what are you gonna do with yourself if you can't be around people and I felt almost as if gosh I'm hearing you can't do solo you can't do isolation you can't do quiet now and I mean that in a lot of different ways people that I've coached that have high achiever have said the same thing 
Like they don't know how to turn off their computers yeah. and yeah. they feel like they're being told there's something wrong with you because you work too much. That's their natural state of mind. What's missing now is the shift of container. They don't get in their car and listen to NPR on their drive home, which relaxes them. I mean, I've coached some people to actually... Do you watch me while I drive off? I I have coached people to actually go outside and come in to their day and to walk outside and leave their day. Because you need separation. Right. So I think that all of us have fallen into negative labels of what our strengths look like during this time. Like, you know, the woos are, we're not okay. You know, the, the people with high adaptability must love this. Oh my God. You know, there's just so many assumptions that are being made about, um, the way our strengths show up, but also we are going to be in a period of change now that I think may be even harder. Yep. Yep. Than what we've experienced the last than year. The, than the front book end of this. Absolutely. Because I you agree. have to choose now. I agree. You don't get to say, oh, well, the governor decided I can't go anywhere, so I'm yeah. not going to. I don't get to use an excuse of the pandemic or, you know, I'm. it's too risky for me, right? I Once have all to choose what I'm going yep. to do with myself, yep. how I'm going to engage, how I'm going to show up, how I'm going to honor other people. I love that. Wow. That is going to be, I think, mm-hmm. harder because it requires... Yeah. Choice. It requires effort. It requires mm-hmm. reflection. Mm-hmm. And those things in change are hard for us yeah. as humans. I love that. I love that thought too about the assumptions that were made about your strengths. You're right. That adaptability. Is, I have my adaptability has been in the basement with this, mm-hmm. because what a total virtual space has proctored is that everything is on, and I'm getting all of the notifications all the time. Right. So I have felt even more of a lack of focus throughout this whole time right. because I'm feeling pulled in so many directions all the time and my adaptability responds to every direction I'm being pulled in any given moment, right? Like I, there is something about an in-person meeting that allows me to focus mm-hmm. on where we're at now, mm-hmm. right? If you and I were doing this virtually, I probably would sell my email up. I'd oh. see the emails that yeah. would come in. And yeah. I think about how, okay, so we assume adaptability doesn't look anything like empathy, but my empathy feels exactly the same way. Yeah. That it's only when I'm in physical space can mm-hmm. I feel like connection. Hmm. Like the human connection yeah. is in person. Yeah. But the big difference, right, is you're picking up on the emotional indicators, right? Adaptability is right. picking up on the needs and responding to needs, which yes. often come in the form of emotional needs, but as well as tangible, physical, right. resource-wise. Right. So yeah. sometimes I think when, again, back to labels and assumptions, when people say, oh, I don't have it, I don't have empathy in my top five, so I don't know, I don't necessarily feel that way. There are blends of strengths, there are mm-hmm. pieces of strengths that may look like we're making the same kind of statement, which is the longing for Mm in-person makes us better at what we do. That for me is all in the feels. Mm -hmm. Yours is more in the brain. And I think that we have to give grace to that. I have had some really tough conversations lately about Mm -hmm. my lack of understanding where someone is coming to the table and their lack of understanding me. Mm-hmm. Strengths gives us that language to do that in a way that feels, um, number one, focused on the good, but number two, I honor you yeah. by sharing about this from a strengths language, mm-hmm. and you can honor me by sharing about it from a strengths language. Or if we were coming up from a deficit, it would be a completely different dialogue. Yeah, for sure. I love that. So I think one thing that we can 
I don't know, leave listeners with is what is, I guess, how do we phrase this question? What is an assumption someone has made or you have made about how a strength navigates during this pandemic? Mm-hmm. And how will you navigate? <clears throat> it's so interesting that I'm losing my voice. So I sang, <clears throat> I sang the whole drive home. Yes. I, when I, I have time in the car, I sing because I'm not a good singer. And you don't I sing in front of anyone else. <laughs> so I was really singing on the way home. Also, and I've been talking more than I normally do, mm-hmm. which is also training and fascinating. Yeah. But more since I've been here. Mm-hmm. Had a really long conversation with my friend. Had a really long conversation with my kid. Just anyway. I think one of the questions that we should ponder is how will your strength show up or how will you choose to handle this new navigation space? I don't want to call it new normal. I don't want to call it post-COVID because it's not. But this new navigational space that is a returning to things that we have known that may look completely different. And the fact that now we have agency in making the choice. We don't. We can't blame anybody anymore. No. We can't use it as an excuse You cannot. And our bad habits... Mm-hmm. I mean, they've got to go. Yeah. I, I really believe that. And I've formed some really bad ones um, mm-hmm. that now have to shift. And that's up mm-hmm. to me. Okay. it's good. It's good. It's a few good questions there. I'm excited to see people's responses. I am too. Yeah. Cool. I love that. Well, thanks everybody for tuning in to episode 80 of Jen and Millie. If you enjoyed today's conversation, consider sharing this episode with a friend. To interact with us and share your responses to the questions that we posed in this episode, uh, you can email us or give us a follow on Instagram at Jen and Millie. That's at G-E-N-N-A-N-D-M-I-L-L-I-E. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are exclusively that of Allison Horn and Tess Starman and may not reflect the views of Teammates Mentoring Program. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time.